Today we come to the final chapter in our verse-by-verse study through the book of James. This has been quite an informative and practical series, hasn't it been? We began with an introduction overview of the entire epistle, discovering that James identifies 12 marks of maturity that should distinguish every Christ follower. And then in the weeks to follow, we have focused on each of these marks one by one. From James 1, verses 2 through 12, we answer the question, how do I profit from my problems? From James 1, 13 through 18, how do I win against temptation? James 1, 19 through 27, how do I listen to the Bible? James 2, verses 1 through 13, how do I treat people properly? James 2, 14 through 26, how do I validate my faith? James 3, 1 through 12, how do I tame my tongue? James 3, 13 through 18, how do I exercise godly wisdom? James 4, verses 1 through 12, how do I resolve conflict? And then last Sunday from James 4, 13 through 17, how do I face the future? Well, that brings us to today's text, James 5, 1 through 6, and the question how do I manage my money? My resources. There's perhaps no greater measure, in fact, of our maturity level than the way that we handle the resources that God has entrusted to us. The biographer of the Duke of Wellington aptly said that he didn't even begin to get a glimpse of the man's real character until he began to examine his bank accounts. The same is true of us. We may think we know one another. We may even think we know ourselves, but... The best revelation of our true character is found when we take an in-depth look at our bank accounts. So what I did is I went out and hacked into every one of your computers and we're going to show everybody's bank account up on the screen this morning. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) Ah! (laughs) But you see, that's the point. The way that we earn and spend our money is an accurate measure of who we really are, of our maturity Level. How do I manage my money? Let's listen to what James has to teach us here in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Follow along in your Bible as I read today's text. James 5, we pick it up with verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. <laughs> I gotta stop there, I'm sorry. <laughs> now listen, you rich people. Well, I think it's important for us to understand the audience to whom James is writing back in the first century was composed basically of two opposite classes of people. Either you were very, very rich or you were very, very poor. In truth, in the Roman Empire, there was no middle class when James wrote this. And so James is addressing the very rich in this portion of his letter, and he confronts them with some pretty scathing language, actually, about the abuse and the misuse of money, especially in relationship to those who are very poor. Now listen, you rich people. Let let me ask you to be honest with me right now. What are you thinking right now as we read these words together? (laughs) If you're being truthful, come on. If you're being honest, you're saying, well, James certainly isn't talking to me. (laughs) Now listen, you rich people, and you're going, whew, man, for the next 30 minutes, I can just kick back and relax because this sermon has nothing to do with me. 
So who comes to your mind when you think of rich people? Gates. Yeah, Bill Gates. Celebrities, actors, athletes, recording artists. Yeah, I mean, on and on the list could go. And so when we read, now listen, you rich people, we think, oh good, James is talking to Bill Gates. Or he's talking to one of these, you know, celebrities. He's not talking to me. Well, before we draw that conclusion, let's remember that in today's world, we Americans are very, very rich. Did you know that if you own just one car, you're better off than 80% of all the people who live in this world? If you own a home, you're in the top 5% of everybody living right now on this planet. If you just draw an average SSI or disability check each month, your income is almost 95% higher than the rest of humankind. That's shocking. You see, being rich is a relative term. And what I want us to understand is that it would do us some good, I think, to listen carefully to what James has to say in these verses. When James says, now listen, you rich people, he might just be talking to you and to me. And what follows is pretty graphic, barely polite, sometimes offending, but let's read it anyway, okay? Look at it with me, James 5. Pick it up again with verse 1. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth is rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. You. Hmm. How do I manage my money? In these six verses, it seems to me that James deals with four key aspects of money management. What I want us to do is look at each of these aspects from both a negative and a positive perspective. Let's talk about the wrong way, and then let's talk about the right way to manage our money today. First of all, let's begin with the wrong way. To manage money. Here are some mistakes that we make, some pitfalls that we need to avoid when it comes to money management. Number one is the wrong accumulation. Hoarding money foolishly. Hoarding money foolishly. Look again at James' words at the end of verse 1 through verse 3. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. I think the key word here is that word hoarded. It means to stockpile. To store up beyond one's basic needs. Now, in New Testament times, there were basically three ways that a person could hoard wealth. The first was by accumulating food. The rich people would buy land, and on that land they would grow crops or they would raise cattle or sheep. 
Then they'd make a profit and they'd go buy more land and do the same and then go buy more land and do the same and over and over again, multiplying their farmland and their grazing pastures and thus they would accumulate all of this food. And so what would they do? They would build larger barns and storage bins to stockpile and to hoard everything that they raised. Accumulating crops and food. Secondly, by accumulating clothes. Clothes were a very important status symbol in the Roman Empire, just as they are today, by the way. You would show off your prosperity by wearing the very finest tailored clothes, very much like our name brands in 21st century culture. The rich would have closets full of expensive garments, accumulating clothes. And then third, by accumulating valuables. Specifically, precious metals and jewels, coins, gold, silver, gems, rings, bracelets, necklaces, brooches, all that glitters, accumulating valuables. Now, isn't it interesting that James mentions all three of these in verses 2 and 3? Did you notice that? Take a closer look at what he writes. Your wealth has rotted. What is it that rots, by the way? Food. <laughs> yeah. James is pointing out that the storehouse of all this food the rich have accumulated is rotting. Now some of us here this morning know this firsthand because we have got some alien creatures growing in our refrigerators at this very moment. (laughs) Moths have eaten your clothes. There's the clothing, you see. Your gold and silver are corroded. There's the valuables. Now here's the key. Don't miss this. It's not the food we eat that rots. It's the leftovers. You with me? It's not the food we need to meet our basic needs that grows rotten. It's the excess beyond our needs. That's the food we have a hard time preserving. That's the food that gets the freezer burn or the green mold all over it. And it's not the clothes that we wear on a daily basis that get moth-eaten. It's the clothes we put in storage. And it's not the coins and jewelry we use in our everyday lives that get corroded. It's the gold and silver that is unspent and unsaved. That's what James is talking about. Here's the bottom line. Write this down in your notes. Whatever we accumulate will deteriorate. It's true. Whatever we accumulate will deteriorate. It's a fact. Whatever we try to hoard beyond our basic needs in life will become rotten, moth-eaten, and rusted. Whatever we accumulate will deteriorate. And so the first wrong way to manage money, the wrong accumulation is to hoard money foolishly. Number two, the wrong appropriation is acquiring money dishonestly. Acquiring money dishonestly. J.B. Phillips translates verse 4 this way. Look, here's the pay of the reaper you hired and whom you cheated, and it is shouting out against you. And the cries of the other laborers you swindled are heard by the Lord of hosts Himself. Now in the first century, much like the Central Valley today, the rich farm owners would often hire the poor farm workers... On a daily basis, the the workers would go to the middle of town, just wait, and along would come the rich land owner who would ask them, you want to work today? And they would say, well, yeah, we want to work today. So he'd load them up in his wagon and haul them out to the farm where they would work by the sweat of their brow all day. And then at the end of the day, the wagon would haul them back once again to town. And the problem was that this system, because there were no contracts or regulations, left things wide open 
to all kinds of exploitation and abuse by the rich farm owners. They would hire these poor farm workers and verbally agree to pay them such and such. And then at the end of the day, when they dropped them off in town, they would only pay them a part of what they had promised. And the laborers, you see, had no recourse. There was nothing they could do. There was no one to whom they could appeal. And that's exactly the attitude that James is confronting here in verse 4. And the heart of the matter is this. When it comes to how we earn our money, it is wrong to be dishonest or deceitful, to cheat or to steal in any way. Now what are some modern day examples of wrong appropriation? Let me just suggest a few. Cheating on your income taxes? Which, if we're to believe statistics, more than half of us do? Handling personal matters on company time when you're on the clock. Taking things from your employer like pens and paper. By the way, they tell us that's the number one crime in America today. Deceiving the welfare and social services departments. Happens all the time. Withholding payments or making late payments on our debts. Selling something and not being totally honest to disclose the real condition. Here, let me sell you my fine car. <laughs> yeah. Copying copyrighted material. The piracy of music and video is at an all-time high right now. Solomon warned us about acquiring money in a dishonest way in Proverbs 21 and verse 6. Let's read it out loud together. Would you read it with me? Cheating to get rich is a foolish game and no less than suicide. Hmm. So the second wrong way to manage money, the wrong appropriation, is to acquire money dishonestly. Number three, the wrong allocation is wasting money selfishly. Wasting money selfishly. I love the way the contemporary English version translates verse 5. While on earth you have thought only of filling your own stomachs and having a good time, but now you are like fat cattle on their way to be butchered. (laughs) What a word picture. You ever seen a slaughterhouse? My dad was a meat salesman, so I've been in one. It's not a pretty place. The smell, the flies, the waste... But you know what? The cattle are never more content than right before they get slaughtered. Do you ever think about that? Why? Because someone keeps feeding them. I mean, they're eating and just about the time they're about to run out, somebody comes along, throws a little more grain in the trough and they just keep right on eating. I mean, they think they've arrived in heaven. And they're mooing contentedly and they just keep eating and getting fatter and fatter and little do they know that about 100 yards away they're going to die tomorrow. In just a few days, they're going to be somebody's guest at a barbecue as a tri-tip or a steak. And in verse 5, this is the very picture that James paints of you and of me. We keep buying the newest car, the latest smartphone, the cutest outfit, the biggest TV, the hottest video game, and the list goes on and on. We're like cattle eating out of a trough. And as long as someone keeps putting stuff in front of us, we will keep eating it up and getting fatter and fatter. And James says, watch out because the day of slaughter is coming. Judgment's just around the corner. NIV begins verse 5, you've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. That begs the question, how much is enough? You ever ask yourself that question? You should. 
How much is enough? When does our spending become extravagant and frivolous? Where's the line between necessity and luxury? We read about the lifestyles of the rich and famous and we're quick to point our fingers in judgment at their excessive lifestyles. But before we go trying to remove the speck from their eye, maybe we ought to remove the log from our own. Amen. So the third wrong way to manage money, wrong allocation, is wasting money selfishly. Number four, the wrong application is using money Manipulatively. Using money manipulatively. Notice verse 6 again. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Just like in today's world, in James' day, the very rich would use their money to get their own way. Specifically, I think that James is referring here to bribery. When the poor would finally get the nerve to take the rich to court for the wages that they were owed, then the rich would go to the judge and pay him under the table, buy him off, and the judge would rule in favor of the rich, leaving the poor without any justice. And generally, the principle is this. Don't use money to manipulate people or circumstances. I mean, money is power. We understand that, right? Let's be honest, the rich have power, and with that power comes a lot of temptation to abuse and misuse it and to control and influence others in a manipulative way. For instance, parents and grandparents who bribe their kids with their allowance. I hope I'm not hitting too close to home here. If you behave, you're going to get such a... I hear that all the time in the supermarket. If you'll behave, I'll give you an ice cream cone when we get done here. I think we ought to question that. Deadbeat dads who control their ex-wives by delaying support payments. Church members who protest decisions made by the leaders of the church by withholding their tithes and offerings. Don't want to give you any ideas, but that happens all the time. (laughs) Employers who manipulate employees by promising bonuses or promotions that never seem to get paid. Gifts and holidays or birthdays that come with obvious strings attached. You know what I'm talking about? So the fourth way to manage, wrong way to manage money, the wrong application is using money manipulatively. Okay, let's summarize the wrong way to manage money. Wrong accumulation, hoarding money foolishly, wrong appropriation, acquiring money dishonestly, wrong allocation, wasting money selfishly, and wrong application, using money manipulative. Now, let's flip this over. And let's look at the positive perspective of these same four aspects of money management. Let's talk about the right way to manage money. Here are some principles that we do want to put into practice in our lives. Number one, right accumulation is saving money faithfully. Saving money faithfully. Now, we do understand, don't we, that there's a difference between saving and hoarding? Saving is investment for the future, for emergencies, retirement, major purchases, etc. Hoarding goes beyond that. It's the excess. Saving is right. Hoarding is wrong. Read uh, Proverbs 21 and verse 20 out loud with me. Let's read this together. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Now talk about a relative verse for today's culture. Do you know the average European saves 18%? of his or her income. The average Asian saves 25% of his or her income. The average American saves less than 1%. 
Now, it's a tough principle to follow, but I counsel people to follow the 10-10-80 principle. I put it in your notes. It's up here on the screen. Tie 10%, save 10%, live on 80%. It's wise money management, not to mention that it's biblical. (laughs) We tie 10% right off the top. We give it to God through the church. We save 10% investing it for emergencies and for the future, and we learn to live within our means on the remaining 80%. So the first right way to manage money is to save money faithfully. Number two, the right appropriation is earning money honestly. Earning money honestly. The Apostle Paul instructs us in Ephesians 4.28, if you used to rob, you must stop robbing and start working in order to earn an honest living for Yourself. Paul's simply saying that if we have been earning money in any way that is deceitful or dishonest, it's time to start earning our money in an honest and trustworthy way. Get yourself to work, work hard, be diligent and consistent. No cheating, no compromising. Over the years, <laughs> I've had people ask me, how much money should a Christian make? Interesting question. My answer is I really don't believe that God puts a limit on an honest living. Hear me out on this one. God is not opposed to wealth. Some of the godliest men and women in the Bible were also the richest men and women in the Bible. So as long as we're earning our money honestly, I don't think God puts a limit on how much we can make. However, I do believe that it is possible and even likely for our appropriation of money, our pursuit of wealth, to become obsessive. It's not money itself that is the root of all evil. It is the love of, the lust for money that is the root of all evil. So how can we exercise some self-restraint here? Well, I suggest asking these three questions. First of all, is my making money affecting my health? Some people literally work themselves to death. Frankly, I have to watch that. (laughs) Hi, my name is Mark Leeper, and I am a workaholic. You're not supposed to say amen. But amen. It's true. Those of you that know me know that it is true. Some people, like myself, work, 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 and they're always saying, you know, when I get this done, when I get to this goal, when I reach retirement... And then when they get there, they have a stroke. And they can't even enjoy it. Or they die of a heart attack before they even get there. Hmm? Proverbs 23, verse 4 warns us, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Great advice. Second question is, is my making money affecting my family? Sometimes our pursuit of money comes at the expense of our marriage or of our children. Read Proverbs 17 and verse 1 out loud with me. Let's read this together. A dry crust eaten in peace is better than steak every day along with argument and strife. Great verse. And there are a lot of homes in America today enjoying steak every night and they're fighting bitterly around the dinner table if they're even at the dinner table. Why? Because the kids would rather have dry crust and have mom and dad at home more often than they would have steak and not even know who their parents are. Third, is my making money affecting my spirituality? 
Jesus Himself said in Matthew 19.23, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now notice He didn't say it's impossible, but He did say it is hard. Why? Because often when we're pursuing wealth and when we have wealth, that in itself becomes our God and it consumes our lives. I often tell people that the more we own, the more that we own owns us. Does that make sense? Let me say it again. The more that we own, the more that we own owns us. Now, I'm not opposed to us owning things, a cabin in the mountains, a RV, a boat, whatever. But you just have to realize the reality is when you own something like that, it owns you. I mean, because you've got to take care of it, right? You've got to protect it and you have to use it. I mean, think about your investments. Get up every morning, you read the stocks. That'll drive you nuts. The bottom line, what we own may distract us. There's a real possibility that it will distract us from the one thing that is primarily the most important thing in our lives, and that is our personal relationship with God. We need to be very, very careful on this one. And so the second right way to manage money, the right appropriation, is earning money honestly. Number three, the right allocation is spending money wisely. Spending money wisely. Look at Proverbs 21, verse 5. Plan carefully and you will have plenty. If you act too quickly, you will never have enough. The key word here is plan. As in budget which 95% of us don't have if statistics are true. A plan for our spending. Solomon put it this way, Proverbs 27, verses 23 and 24. Riches can disappear fast, so watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks and your herds. Or in today's language, know your assets and your liabilities. Simply put, you've heard me say this before, but it's worth repeating again, I think. I believe there are four things that each and every one of us needs to know when it comes to budgeting. I put them there in your notes and they're up here on the screen. We need to know what we owe, what we own, what we earn, and what we spend. And if you don't have that written out someplace, if that's not saved on your computer someplace, you got some homework to do. Enough said. The right way to manage money. The right allocation is to spend money wisely. Number four, the right application is giving money generously. Giving money generously. Let's read Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25 out loud together. Would you read it with me? It is possible to give away and become richer. It is also possible to hold on too tightly and lose everything. Yes, the generous man will be rich. By watering others, he waters himself. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) If we give it away, the promise is we'll get it back. Jesus Himself put it this way, Luke 6.38, Given it will be given to you, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. That's such a wonderful promise. Jesus is saying that if we shovel it out, God will shovel it back to us, only He uses a larger shovel. Now giving generously, I think, has two obvious applications. First of all, giving to others. Giving to others. Proverbs 28, verse 27 promises, whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing. Isn't that interesting? 
If we, if we meet the needs of others, if we give generously to the poor, the promise is that we will never lack for ourselves. Giving to others. And then second, of course, giving to God. Proverbs 3 and verse 9 instructs us, honor the Lord by giving Him the leftovers of all your income. Is that what it says? Oh, I read that wrong, didn't I? Hmm. Honor the Lord by giving Him what? The first part of all your income. See, that's the key word right here. We're to be first part tithers, not leftover tippers. The biblical principle here is to give God 10% right off the top first before anyone and anything else. The scriptural equation, God's math, is that 90% is greater than 100%. What do I mean by that? Simply put, if we give God 10% first, the 90% that remains will last longer than if we had kept the 100% for ourselves. I can't explain it, but it works. may not add up on paper, but it does add up in God's economy. And you know what? We have God's Word on it. In fact, God says, you ought to test me in this. The only time in Scripture He ever invites us to test Him is with this principle right here. Test me in this, He says, to see whether or not this be true. The question is, will we ever trust God enough to try it? So the fourth right way to manage money, the right application, is to give money Generously. Okay, let's summarize the right way to manage money then. Right accumulation, saving money faithfully. Right appropriation, earning money honestly. Right allocation, spending money wisely. And right application, giving money generously. How do I manage my money? This morning we've taken a closer look. James 5 verses 1 through 6 and James hard-hitting practical advice on money management. Managing what God has entrusted to our care. And it's not even a nice passage of Scripture. (laughs) But it's one we need to listen to. And I can't think that there is anyone here this morning who can't learn from what James has to teach us today.